Welcome to The Life Tonic, a podcast where we explore the sacred connection between our mind, body, and the multiverse. I'm your host, Joanna O, and I will be joined by inspiring thought leaders, creators, healers, and disruptors in their space as we journey through many of life's greatest mysteries and unpack different concepts around alternative health and wisdom to expand our definition of self. I'm grateful you're here. So let's dive in. Like we're all at a bit of a turning point where we're like, okay, the deal here has changed. Love it and lose it and learn to love it again. And we're all evolving. Can we make like take the shape of that in a way that feels a little bit more easeful? It's so good to have you. How have you been feeling this week? Well, <laughs> I'll be honest. Um, I think this has been a this has been a strange time. Um, I feel like a lot is getting unearthed. We're like at the time of this recording in the center of Aquarius season, and I think we forget that at least in the northern hemisphere, this is like the center of winter. So there's a lot sort of being incubated, but also a lot being like drawn up to the surface, you know, in in preparation for the arrival of spring and the start of the astrological wheel. So yeah, I feel like a lot, I feel like pimple popping, like things are coming up to the surface for excavation, exfoliation for sure. Have you been feeling? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I have been feeling the same. A law has come up and I had this conversation with a few people, whether on the podcast or off the past three weeks now has been even reliving like as your past self to the extent where like you're feeling those old emotions a bit like you said like unearthing to eventually move past it there's been a lot of that yeah for sure yeah the unearthing that word has really been coming up for me because we think about the astrology of moving like from capricorn season into air or aquarius air we're literally going from earth to air we're unearthing ourselves so things are kind of coming up we're like a little kid on a beach that was packed in sand and now we're like busting out and all of these things are coming up to the surface. So yeah, hang, hang on kitties. Hang on. <laughs> yeah. How excited are you for the astrological new year? <laughs> uh, well, I'm like a quadruple quintuple Aries. So <laughs> I feel like Aries season, if that's what you mean by the astrological new year, Aries yeah. season and the, the spring equinox and everything, it runs very, um, very thick and very deep in me, that energy. So yeah, I think I'm really like, I've tried, I've been trying to rest really into each season and understand that it's going to pass and change and I'm not going to be here that long. So I'm trying to sort of rest in the current energy and not jump ahead too much as my Aries self wants to, but yeah, I'm super psyched. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's it's a little bit like um, we're given this opportunity to rest because there's so much energy just lingering or like there's so much that's coming to the surface, but also like a closure, I feel. Because December, I don't know if, if you felt that, but December it was literally like probably the most intense energy that we've had in like, I don't know, decades. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I was really in it in December and I had COVID for the couple of weeks over Christmas and I was just Same. completely horizontal. And then it was like this act of trying to get vertical in the beginning of Capricorn season, which is so Capricorn. It was like I had to just sort of build my body back up and try to stand upright. But yeah, what you're speaking to about closure, I think is really poignant because I think sometimes we forget in the calendar year 
that this isn't the end of the astrological year, that we actually have to go through March and Pisces season to like release all of that to then beget this new beginning. And so we put a lot of pressure on ourselves sometimes, I think, to like do it all in January or try to like initiate. And, you know, astrologically, of course, there's some energy of initiation in Capricorn season, but we're still resting. Like you're saying, we're still building energetic resources and reserves. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I meant. But you put it so well. So I mean, look, for anyone tuning in now, I'm going to just quickly introduce you (laughs) uh, to kind of put it all into context. So my guest today, Bess, is a PhD, New York-based astrology and tarot reader, a teacher, an author, and she serves up mystical self-inquiry with a side of play, poetry, and pop music. And I couldn't say it better because I came across your um, Numinous Cosmic Year book, so for 2022, in, let's say, October, maybe November of last year. And I had bought things like that before but this one I was like wait what (laughs) that's exactly how it (laughs) it what's really interesting is because when you're working with it and we'll get into it so you can actually tell me about it and how you kind of constructed the whole thing but I find really useful the fact that I'll be looking at a day when I know there's like a big transit or something's coming up And I'll have my interpretation of it where I'm like, oh, intuitively, I feel this. But then reading it in in your book, it will almost always show me like a blind spot that I had in a positive sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you're not busy combining the cosmos, you (laughs) said you can be spotted wearing, sporting the hot pink lipstick. And I can see it right now while wandering deserts and tropics. So, I mean, talk (laughs) me through this. There's, there's, you wear so many hats. It's amazing. Yeah. um, So the pink lipstick, maybe I'll start there. Um, That's been the through thread. And I feel like there are those things too. And maybe it's, maybe it's like an extension um, you know, an offering to listeners too. It's like, what is sort of your essential core thing that holds you through all of these seasons and all of these shifts and all of these kind of cosmic um, whips of the wind? And for me, it's been pink lipstick, you know, since I was <laughs> like 13 years old, pretty much every day of my life, there was a period of time around my Saturn return where I stopped wearing pink lipstick for like a year. And then I had to like rechoose it you know, it basically had been wearing me. So I had to like break with it and then rechoose it. And interestingly, that Saturn return was my reawakening or my reignition around astrology and tarot as a professional path. Um, it had been in my life since I was a little kid. Um, but that turning point and that breakdown of the Saturn return, when I lost the pink lipstick, I had to refine the pink lipstick and I refound the language of astrology and tarot as well. And um, the rest is rest is history, you know, and to a certain extent. But yeah, I think that, um, and I know that you wanted to speak, you know, potentially touch on the Saturn return a little bit in our conversation. It's this huge astrological turning point, and it happens, you know, around the time we're thirty years old, late twenties, and then it happens again around sixty. And then if we're super lucky to live till 90, we get it a third time. And just this point of sort of reckoning and inquiry and walking through our psychological house and seeing like, who picked out those curtains? Like, what's that chair doing over there? You know, is, are these things really mine? Are they authentic to, um, 
to my selfhood. So a playful way of of that unfolding might be to like lose your pink lipstick and refine it, rechoose it. But of course, there can also be all sorts of psychological uh, major, you know, turning points in it and uh, and sort of reignitions around that time. So I'll leave it there for now. <laughs> yeah, you, that's a that's a really good analogy. I love the pink lipstick. That's gonna kind of stick with me when I think of you now, <laughs> but. I think because you said Saturn return, I know that was one of the points and it's sort of come up with a few people that I was talking to recently. Do you think that you can potentially start experiencing the whip of Saturn? Because Saturn is a teacher, right? So in order to integrate what Saturn has to teach you, you're kind of going to go through different ebbs and flows of what it has to offer at least for me that that's how it felt and for some people that can begin way before your 27th 28th even 29th birthday do you find that that's true yeah for sure i mean i think if we look to saturn the first touch point or interesting kind of checkpoint is to see what our individual relationship is to the element of earth you know, Saturn naturally rules the sign of Capricorn. And this is, you know, this is an earthy energy. And so there's a lot about Saturn that connects us to gravity and connects us to sort of the finiteness of our time on Earth, which is, I think, why it can provoke such a reckoning in a lot of people, because it's like, damn, you know, this is X amount of the way through. Like, I'm not going to get out of this experience alive. You know, things have weight, things have matter, things matter. And, you know, what am I sort of throwing myself into or giving weight to? Um, and I think for some people, it can really, I mean, and we can talk about the astrological technicalities of it. You know, if you have a Saturn that's at a super early degree, you know, you might start experiencing the Saturn return or sort of like the texture of it earlier than somebody else. But I think also like people come to these symbols as they come to these symbols. And, you know, I think there's a lot to say about transits, you know, being exact or when the exact degree or looking at the numbers. But there's also like the gift of astrology that's just this language, you know, if you start feeling Saturn and feeling that gravity and that search for authentic meaning at 25, you know, you you might say that you're in the throes of the Saturn return or you're starting to work with the archetype of that planet. So I think we don't have to be so precious about sort of the mathematics of it and remember that this is a language of symbols that is intuitively felt. So if you're feeling Saturn or you're reading about a particular planet, Uranus or a, a sign and that feels resonant, that signs archetype or that that planet's archetype is wanting to connect with you so i think i would um i would say that uh there's a lot of ways to kind of wayfind through the astrological symbols the same way that you might turn over a tarot card or choose to put a tarot card on your altar you know if you're feeling saturn you're feeling this particular planet you know dedicate some time to that um for inquiry that's a really good way to put it because i think it, you can get lost a little bit in the exactitude the mathematical aspect of it all and that's not how everyone necessarily feels about astrology i want to know about your journey how did this become your love language <laughs> <laughs> well it kind of always was um from the time that i was 9 or 10 i remember finding my first astrology books. I don't know how I got my hands on these or why, but they were in my hot little hands, you know, from the library, from the bookstore. And, um, you know, I've told this story often, but there, there really isn't no, isn't any better point of origin 
that my first real astrology book was um, Parker's Astrology, which is this kind of classic text and the edition that I had, um, you know, in there, I guess it was like the late 80s, early 90s as a little kid was um, sort of half these glossy full color pages and then half these sort of uh, grayish pages that taught you sort of the technicalities of astrology. And at the time it was pre-internet. So you had to take out your compass and draw the chart and figure out the calculations. And I wasn't interested in that at all. I was interested in the front pages, which were in full color and they were the 12 sign archetypes. And they had all these photos of, um, you know, each sign and then like the herbs that were associated with it and the colors and cities around the world. And so for me as a kid who all I wanted as a kid was like romance and heightened experience. I wanted um, things to be poetic, things to have kind of elevated meaning. And so I saw this language in these pages that was like, whoa, this is this whole treasure hunt. I can go out into the world and and you know what's that plant over there? What's that mailbox? Is that mailbox Gemini? Because it's like sending messages to and from something. Whereas <laughs> you know that particular plant feels very Taurus. It's sort of bursting into bloom. It's really like fertile and spilling over this bouquet of flowers. Um, so I started to kind of relanguage my world in that way, and it just kind of always was. I think it's sort of like if you're a native speaker of any language or you're a speaker from the time you're a kid, it's just another way in which you call things in the world. So, and that's not to imply that if you don't have this in your life, you know, everybody is a native speaker of astrology. It's just sort of excavating the symbology and, you know, looking at how to kind of relanguage like that. It's not, you know, that I had some privilege because I was started doing this when I was 10 or whatever. Um, and then, you know, it just followed me through my life. It was always there you know, playing with it and um, using it to help understand parts of myself and other people. Um, and then when I hit the Saturn return without getting too deeply into it, I had basically a major psychological breakdown. I nearly left the planet, you know, departed. Um, and at the time I was working with a therapist who was also, you know, was a Jungian analyst who was also an astrologer. And astrology came forward for me again as a way to basically save my own life in that moment, to make sense of my experience, um, to, you know, kind of bless and celebrate and accept my own nature and to, um, you know, kind of be used as a headlamp to navigate the terrain and, and come back to life again. And it was like the day basically that I entered this breakdown was also the first day that I gave my you know, first professional reading. So this was like in 2013, late, late 2013. Um, and, you know, the timing of that was, was very apt. I couldn't see it all at, at that moment, but the bottom was completely falling out of my life, quote unquote. And this other way was already being kind of paved professionally that I almost, you know, I couldn't see the full unfolding of. And, you know, now eight years or nine years later, um, it just sort of, grew and grew. And it was the way that I kind of found my way in the the darkest or the most challenging, you know, one of the most challenging turning points of my life. And so, um, yeah, it just, it grew and grew and here we are, I'm alive and it's still alive within me and, um, it's become my full-time job somehow. <laughs> so, and I'm so happy you're here. <laughs> <laughs> thank I mean, you. And yeah, I mean, thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks to that darkness, I suppose, to that shadow for 
igniting the gift that was there or remembering, helping you remember that, that gift. I mean, there's so much healing I find. Um, and the more, the more I talk to people, the more I see this, there's so much healing to be found in, it's crazy to say it, but astrological currents and how, because everything is energy, you know, we cannot deny the fact that celestial bodies have this this interconnectedness right because we all come from this one origin point at some point in time we were all connected and i think there's just so much healing to be to be found in that just for sometimes for the path that is within you and just to map that path forward and again i I suppose this i want i want your take on this to some degree but when people look at astrology and i feel like that's really coming of age now uh, i'm i'm really seeing that a lot now unfolding people think astrology is just a tool to predict the future. And because you spoke about tarot, and that's a divination tool that I also really resonate with, and it's something that found its way to me. And of course, there's that intersection between astrology and tarot. Do you feel like you're using it? And I guess the answer is going to be no, but do you feel like you're using it as a divination tool? How do you feel about this whole like predicting the future side to it? Yeah. Um, so the short answer is no, I don't. <laughs> I don't use it sort of in that way. Um, but I think that one of the things, one of the words that you just use has been resonating with me so deeply as my practice has evolved. And it's this word that you said, currents, astrological currents. And I think there's, you know, there, sometimes we get into a, a terrain where we're really binaried about looking at kind of fate versus free will and like either something is predestined or something is prognosticated, or I'm just going to be using this kind of as a tool for my own, you know, self-empowerment and self-knowing, and then I'm going to make decisions, you know, from my own will. So we're kind of in this fate or free will debate. But I think for me, like there's this whole liminal space, this whole in-between space that exists between these poles, which is where astrology and tarot for me really live. And the closest thing that I can sort of identify or explain it as is the word current. And so I see that these energies, so if we talk about the energy of you know a sign like Aquarius or a particular Uranus transit, which is the planet that rules Aquarius, um, there's a current, there's a kind of like charge that's sort of in the air, you know, whether it's in our birth chart or whether it's unfolding in the collective. And then we open to it, you know, and we, we run it through us. And of course it's, it's getting flavored by us and it's getting, um, you know, sort of, uh, it's, it's bearing the mark of us as we open to it, but we have to dilate to kind of catch it, you know, to catch up with it. And so I think that there's, you know, on the surface, I think we we think that we all want to know the future or like know what's going to happen to us, but we don't really like our souls don't really want that. They want to partner in a way that I think is much more complex, opening to, yes, there's certain patterns and there's certain charges that run through each of us, you know, that run through our birth chart or that run through different turning points of our life by astrological transit. But it's this dance, you know, where we kind of hollow out to let some of them come through. And then in that hollowing process or that accepting of kind of the charge or the invitation of the charge, then we start to kind of work with it and wield it. You know, it's almost this alchemical process that happens. And to be honest, like the longer that I practice astrology and tarot as modalities for, you know, offering um, meaning making for, for clients, for people in the world, 
the more I use them actually quite similarly. And what I mean by that is, you know, if I'm doing a tarot spread for someone, if we're going to do a tarot pull, we're pulling cards in that moment. You know, we might not know, quote unquote, what we're going to flip, you know, what we're going to turn over. And then there they are. But I actually treat the astrological chart when I'm doing a reading of somebody's birth chart quite similarly. I'll look to the chart and see what's pinging. It's almost like as if I'm turning over a card. And I might even see something that's not even there. The person might have no planets in Gemini, but I really see that archetype kind of stepping forward for them. And so I try to trust that knowing and bring that symbol forward the same way that I might flip over a card and see the lovers or see, you know, nine of swords or something that's connected to the energy of Gemini. And so I think that there's like, maybe it's banal to say, but the future comes from the present, from being in the present and unfolding naturally from that moment. And so I think the closer to the grain of like, what's here we are, you know, we're, or what's here we're with, you know, during a reading, um, the, the, the more naturally we can kind of know the next right move or the next right step or things can kind of unfold from that point. I know that's a little bit abstract, but hopefully that that answers your question. No, it's not at all. It's actually it's actually very clear because it, it just describes the whole process and these amazing tools and this beautiful language which you speak of so poetically. You literally have your own language anyway. Um, but they're complementary to our human experience, but also to the shifting energies and I see this a lot where you know, we always talk about the big three and this kind of touches on the my question to you, my follow-up question, the big three, which you describe also <laughs> very differently, actually, uh, but we'll get on to that. And people just come to me and say, well, I don't feel I relate to this, you know, and it kind of brings up another point that you made me think about is the fact that it's a perpetual work of becoming just like we are. You know, looking at your chart, I find having worked with my chart, it, it always reveals itself to me over time. And I'll be sitting here now looking at something that I knew was there the whole time, but it now makes sense in a different context, in a different part of my life, in a different current, if you will. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, even as like somebody who's worked my whole life with this language, I'll laugh about it because you know, I've been looking at my chart for, you know, I'm in my early 40s now for 30 plus years. And yet, like, a, like, maybe six months ago, you know, I was convinced in my own consciousness that my moon, my Leo moon didn't have any as you know, didn't have any aspects, it wasn't touching any other planets. And then I like looked six months ago and was like, Jesus Christ, like, my moon's in an exact T-square with Lilith and Chiron, like, like, I wasn't, I just like was not dealing with that for my entire life. And I think it's probably, you know, it's something I, I recognized on some level, but I wasn't ready to know. And so I think what you're saying about this becoming is so, is so beautifully apt because we know what we need to know when we're ready to know it. And the chart, all of these symbols exist. And I think it's like something that a lot of people that start studying astrology can get really tripped up on or or feel overwhelmed by and be like, oh, I want to take this course. I want to read this book so I can like crack the code and I can understand what my chart means. And it's like, would you treat, would you treat your own selfhood the same way? Do you feel like you're just going to sit down one day and understand everything there is to know about yourself in like one moment or through one, you know, month long course or whatever the thing is like, 
like this is a commitment and that's not to say that you can't dip in and out of astrology casually. You know, I think that you can learn one thing about your chart and that can open an entire life world up without you feeling like you have to know everything. But this idea of becoming and this idea of returning to this symbology and returning to this language at different junctures because different things want to step forward. And, you know, you may find that you're 41 years old and you've suddenly discovered your moon's in a T-square, even though you're an astrologer. Like, you know, so it's, yeah, that that word becoming, I think is really critical. It's really important. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one you discovered. Uh, but I completely agree with you. I think very much when you're working with symbology like that, and very much you drew the parallel with with tarot it's the cards of the cards right but you're sitting in front of a person with their own energy you bringing your own energy into this and there's just a whole setup around it there's like a 360 view of of what the consciousness is at this point in time so it's going to be different every time so that that was really nicely described you said for someone like dipping in and out or someone that's just starting out and has this curiosity about astrology, what's your advice? Where where does one begin <laughs> to unpack? And begin? I, I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think there's there's a lot of different approaches. And I think, you know, maybe it feels like a bit of a banal caveat or offering, but I think remembering that there's no wrong moves, like there's no right or wrong way to start can be um, sort of a liberating starting point. And for me, really, and I feel like there's some astrologer that I used to study years ago, it might have been Stephen Arroyo or one of the psychological astrologers, who basically was putting forward this offering around, if you understand any part of the chart, any one symbol in the chart, you understand everything because everything basically leads home. Everything leads to the same theme. And, you know, sometimes you're knocked over the head with it in somebody's chart where it's super, super obvious, you know, what the theme is. Like a chart like mine, where the energy of Aries, the energy of Mars, like runs through on all these different levels. Or, you know, you might look at somebody that has a really thick concentration of energies and, you know, a particular sign or a certain planet that really shines. Um, But even when it's not that obvious, it's like, I think starting out, really letting yourself just look at the physical object of the chart and see what attracts you. Like, even if you don't understand a single symbol that's on that page, like see where your eye goes, you know, and it may go to, you know, Mercury in this little six pie slice of your chart. And maybe you start there and you just find out everything that you can sort of, there is to be known about that symbol. And then you let it unfold from there. And then I think that there's also approaches that I think can be maybe a little bit more um, uh, accumulative or sort of a, a granular sort of building. And for me, it's really about dialing back the energies to the four elements. There's nothing in the chart that isn't connected to one of the four elements, you know, like nothing. So everything is housed under these four basic elements that we all have access to. Like you already know what fire feels like. You know what it feels like to be in the blazing sun on a hot summer day, like on a lounger, you know, feeling those rays beating down. You know what it feels like to open a window and get, you know, a burst of fresh air through the through the window. You know what it's like to um, 
sit in a chair on the ground or sit with your sit bones on the ground with earth. Um, and you know what it feels like to dip into a bath or dip into a swimming pool, um, you know, to touch in with the element of water. And so I think looking first and fundamentally at just your basic kind of concentration of elements in your chart. And maybe it's that you start with the sun, moon rising and see what elements are represented there because we all have kind of dominant elemental currents and we all have elemental currents that we're reaching toward a little bit more. And that doesn't mean if you don't have any planets in earth in your chart, you're not, you don't have access to that. It just means that the reach or the unfolding toward it might take a little bit more conscious kind of um, conceptualization. And so I think remembering that no matter what you're looking at in the chart, it's one of the four elements. If you're getting so tangled up in like, okay, I've got my Mars, but it's in Libra, um, you know, and Mars is, you know, I don't, I don't remember what that is. My Mars is in Libra and it's in the, uh, I don't know, the, the, uh, the 10th house. Okay. So we're looking at like Mars, which has a dominant kind of charge connected to fire. We're looking at Libra air. We're looking at the 10th house earth, just starting to play around with kind of the layering of those elementals. Um, and I think the last thing that I would say is the big three. And I know, you know, you mentioned the big three, the sun, moon, and I'm assuming that you mean the sun, moon rising, um, that kind of trinity yeah. in our chart. And I think that this can be a really interesting point to start to play in terms of like, what it's like to have these three signs and who knows you might have them all three in the same sign which is another kind of way to play with the with the symbol but start to imagine these three signs just like meeting each other you know at a party on a camping trip you know whatever in in a library whatever the setting is where you want to place these kind of three characters and just let them kind of come forward and see what they need what they're about what each of these archetypes has to say um I think just to sort of like broadly sketch it out, um, you know, the sun, sometimes we're sort of sold this idea that the sun is just like who we are, you know? And I think for a lot of us, that doesn't always feel connected to our experience. And I think that the sun is who we are, but it's again, to use your word becoming, it's a lifelong mission. It's a lifelong moving toward, you know? It's not like we just pop out of the womb and we're like, my work is done here. I'm a sun in Capricorn and I've got it. I've got it on lock. And like, that wouldn't be, there'd be no evolving if that were the case. I think in some ways the moon can represent a little bit of that deeper pull that feels a little bit more natural sometimes in us. Um, and there's lots of facets to work with around that, but you know, just like think about the sun and the moon. If you know nothing about these symbols, just in the day to day, what does the sun do? It comes up every day and it's just like out exposed during the daytime. We can see things in it. You know, it's the kind of tangible um, world where we go out and do things. You know, we're diurnal people for the most point, you know, for the most part, we're like doing things during the light of day. And then the moon, you know, comes out at night. We can see it at night uh, in its most vibrant state and it's reflective. It's internalized. It's nocturnal. Um, and then the rising, I feel like the rising is like, by far one of the most complicated parts of the chart, which I feel like getting involved in the big three and people knowing their sun, moon, rising has always been a little funny to me because I'm like, the rising to me is so complicated. It's so complicated. And we get kind of sold this idea that, oh, it's your game face or it's sort of your way you show up in the world or this mask. And I don't really experience it like that. I think that there's a certain extent to which we might uh, develop a kind of like 
cursory or shorthand relationship with our rising. And then in that way, it might kind of show up as a mask. Like we think that's sort of what life is about. So we kind of go out and try to perform that. But on a deeper level, for me, the rising sign is the adventure. It's the shape of the adventure. And so it's like, if you imagine you're a sun sign Capricorn, your moon's in Gemini, and maybe you're Sagittarius rising, like you're on a Capricorn mission you know, the core of you, the resources, the internal emotional state is Gemini and you're on a Sagittarius adventure. It's like, what if Capricorn and Gemini went on a Sagittarius road trip? Like, what would they get up to, you know? So it's almost like the rising is like a theme or a way to sort of shape um, what the the texture of like the unfolding is going to be like, um, which I think can be actually quite advanced to try to start to work with. So I think starting with the elementals, starting maybe just with the sun and moon um, and, and also starting where you start. Um, And I know that's a very like long winded (laughs) answer to that question, but hopefully that's helpful to people. No, that's really useful. So I agree with you on the rising sign because you put it really eloquently that it has this, it holds a duality So, and I know it's very, I guess, on trend at the moment for people to say, well, instead of reading your sun sign, which is what like new age astrology tells you in the newspaper, that's what everybody knows. It's your sun sign. And we think that we should be identifying with this. I don't think a lot of people do. So it's now, I feel like it's shifted a little bit towards, well, read for your rising sign. But I think you should actually be reading for all three a different at different times, depending on what energy you're connecting to, if, if I'm following your train of thought, because your rising has this duality, like I said, so it's your mask, but it could also be the parts of you that you might need to let go of if you want to move forward. I don't know if it's a new start, a new beginning, particularly whenever you feel that's the necessity of the moment, your sun sign, the mission and your moon sign. I mean, the amount of people that I get telling me I identify, I mean, I'm one of those people. I identify with my moon sign. So moon? I guess the question- I don't know. What are your big three? I want, I want the reveal if you feel comfortable sharing. <laughs> no, absolutely. And because you said, when you look at your chart, see what you're first drawn to. So my funny comment to that was going to be when I first looked at my chart, I was most drawn to the eighth house. And that's mm-hmm. because I have a steel in the eighth house. And that's pretty intense. And I love how intense it is. Um, but yeah, my yeah my chart has a lot of Sag, Scorpio, um, a rising Aries, and my moon is in Libra, and I love that. I love my moon in Libra, and I keep telling everybody who asks me that I try to connect to that energy a lot because I don't think that's how I'm perceived. If that makes sense. Yeah, there can be sort of an internalized quality to the moon, um, especially dependent on what's what else is happening in the chart. And sometimes it's sort of the secret locket, the moon, you know, that we learn to kind of keep for the jewel of ourselves. And maybe as over time, I, I always laugh because I think when you observe children, you can see their moon signs really, really vibrantly sometimes, you know, it's very obvious. Like if you go to a playground, you know, and, and just see kids running around, you can all almost always sort of identify (laughs) certain currents of the moon. And then I think as we get older, not that the moon gets like beaten out of us, but you know, the over overculture wants us to sort of hustle and be on the mission and be in the solar, you know, be um, decoupled in a lot of ways from these kind of 
deeper intuitive internalized longings that can't always be represented. So some of us, you know, depending on our moon signs, like start to really internalize that part of ourselves. And so there can be a recovery around the moon. You know, I always say that the moon's kind of like the the like very vocal kid in like the backseat of the car or you know you kind of have to feed your moon before anything else happens you know like like get the moon good you know not that it's about good bad but like attend to the needs of the moon and so you can um support like the larger unfoldings and the flowerings in the world like make sure the moon's okay first like tended to and fed and it has its snacks and everything (laughs) that's so funny what are your big three? Uh, I'm an Aries sun, a Leo moon, and a Libra rising. Um, and then everything else is basically in Aries. <laughs> so it's been like, right. my rising has been a very deep growing edge for me. It's been an adventure because I run very fire heavy. And to have those moments of kind of airy perspective or reciprocity or kind of panned out moments has been a challenge in my life. Um, But I definitely feel, you know, I forget which astrologer says this, and I don't think it's this, you know, straightforward, but there's some astrological interpretations that see your sun sign as your present, like what you're here to bring forward in the present life, your moon sign as your past, and your rising as your future, so that it's some sort of point on the horizon that you're kind of unfolding toward. And for me, from time to time, that does resonate because this burst of air that comes into my chart and a chart that's almost entirely a fire barbecue, you know, gives me these moments of like, oh, you know, and especially when I was younger and just totally running wild, like I didn't really consider the impact of my actions that kind of cause an effect that Libra calls us into. And so, you know, depending on your elemental orientation, it may be that your rising sign is a growing edge. And I think in that sense, it forms part of the adventure of you. Um, for this life. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've created such a beautiful space for this language. And I'll say it again for people to use and to muse with, because again, and I go back to to this because I, I work in this space and I talk to people in this space, and this is like a trend that I'm seeing, like the current, if you will, of astrology being used to talk about finance politics. I mean, you name it, celebrities. And I think while there's a place for all of this, I think it can get extremely overwhelming for people to try and decode and going back to that, you know, the overwhelm of information when you're reading it and just not knowing, well, where the hell do I begin? And what I found with with your book, so with the Numinous Cosmic Year, it's a planner, but it's also it's also fun. It's, it's storytelling, but it's your own storytelling. And it's, you know, a song that I'll remember that will just throw me back, you know, and I'm like, oh, I really love that song. And it's, it is very much January, you know, <laughs> or it talks about the fashion, you know, because it's an all encompassing energy that is present. And then it's, you know, you living through, through your expression of you. How did that come about for you? Well, it's sort of that way of, speaking through astrology has always sort of been the way of me, you know, since those early days of kind of seeing the treasure hunt of astrology and those pages of that original volume and looking to the world. And, and it's, you know, it might get a little heady to think about, but I actually think it's quite concrete on another level. Like these aren't, um, they're symbols, but they're also like 
real expressions of the energy. So for example, you know, if you think about, you know, something that's sort of a, a burst of cold air that sort of ignites you or the, the energy of sort of like the charge after a, a storm, you know, after a lightning storm, like this is a symbol perhaps of Aquarius or of Uranus energy, but it's also like the actual experience of the energy. So it's not just like, oh, put on this color and that's like, I can point to this and say, oh, that looks Libran or that looks like Gemini or whatever it is. It's actually about starting to re-experience the world and rename things like in the grain of the experience. And so I think what I've what I've tried to do, and it was something that I've originally kind of called sensuous or sensual astrology, it's just to kind of um, close the gap between us pointing to things as symbols of something that's out there, like that looks like, or that is, or versus kind of the visceral feeling of, oh, like I'm in it, you know? It's like when you're feeling chocolate, like melt in your mouth, you know, you're having a Taurus or a Venusian, perhaps a Venusian experience of receiving sweetness or receiving fullness, you know? All of these kinds of sensations, they're not just symbols to point to. They're also experiential kind of unfoldings of the energy. So I think that was definitely one of the intentions between, you know, behind the way that the book is presented and the way that I, I hope all of my work, you know, through the years has been able to come through in that way as well. And I think for me, it's like really holding this kind of sweet spot, like you were talking about in the beginning, between this idea of like, um, something is going to happen and I'm the one who control, you know, like that will and that, um, that fate kind of binary and seeing and trying to present in language that was expansive enough and left enough room to kind of move for people rather than like, okay, I'm going to flip to this transit. I'm going to know exactly what it means. Uh, you know, and then I'm going to like plan my life accordingly and more like, okay, this is a, this is a texture. This is a feeling tone of this moment here's some points of inquiry around it. Here's some questions, um, you know, go forth, go forth into the energy. And, and it was funny, you know, actually writing the manuscript and like, you know, if people know about kind of like book writing processes, like it's often that you're writing the first draft or, you know, your original draft of a manuscript, like a year and change out from when, at least from when the book is actually going to be published. So I was writing all of this in like, fall of 2020, about 2022, like in early quarantine, you know, in my apartment in Brooklyn. And, you know, I was going through a very sort of activating psychological time for myself, you know, not just in the context of the pandemic, but, you know, some stuff sort of happening personally. And I think what I was trying to access in those moments of writing was something that would um, be an evolutionary invitation, be an invitation to growth, but in a way that felt palatable, you know, in a way that felt uh, had a certain softness to it. Um, and I tried to, to bring it forward or the way that it came forward for me was in a way that um, that I would hopefully that I would want to read, you know, that I would want to receive and that I felt like collectively in that moment of a lot of hard edges and a lot of um, unknowables and all of that, you know, early quarantine kind of experience Um you know, what would be sweet to receive, you know, from to the world or to give to the world, give to the world in that way. It sounds like I'm like everybody's going to read this book, which they may not, but, you know, trying to kind of like uh, bring it through in a way that felt, um, yeah, that felt accessible and it felt immediate. And 
it was also just a trip to like think about what 2022 is going to feel like from the standpoint of like late 2020 in the midst of all of these uh, kind of upheavals. And, um, you know, so I had a little bit of humor about it too, in terms of like, okay, I'm sensing what I'm going to sense. And ultimately, you know, it's all unknowable. So trying to bring a current forward that would hopefully be helpful and then leaving it up, leaving the rest up to, uh, up to the unfolding. Wow. Yeah. Up to the reader. I mean, I would love to know in the whole channeling of this book, back in 2020 <laughs> how did you feel the energy shift from from where you were sitting then versus now in the actual you know in, in the now yeah I mean I think certain hits that I had about the energy um I don't want to say have come to pass because it sounds like I was predicting something but I think the the energy and I don't know how much of this gets into the book and what language you know it's been a while since I've I've actually, you know, looked at it. I'm sort of like one of those people who produces something and then I kind of, um, I just have to like not, <laughs> not engage with it for a while again, you know, especially with book stuff. But I think that the feeling tone, I don't know. And it, it felt to me, and I don't know if this has been true for you too, Joanna, but something happened when we flipped into 2022. And I don't always feel that shift like of the calendar year as much, but something happened from December to January and not to say that there isn't still residue and things coming up and sticky bits and everything, but something started moving for me in January of this year in a different way. And, you know, the word that I might use, and I don't know if this is used in the book or not, but it's almost kind of like a bodysuit. It's almost like the sensation that not that like things are going to have to be easier or evolution is going to be suddenly easy, but that I think we're looking collectively toward like, is there an opportunity for more ease for, and to me, this, this comes through in a lot of different uh, astrological symbols, but mainly in the shift of the nodal axis into Taurus Scorpio. And sometimes we think about Taurus Scorpio as this like, held and kind of gripped in this like deeply regenerative and like we see you know Scorpio death composting and then you know uh Taurus these these flowers that kind of come from that compost and this very kind of like you know intense uh sort of regenerative process but I think also like and we don't often think of Scorpio maybe as easeful like energy um but I think there's a real opportunity to reposition or reimagine uh, this axis when we look at this is water and earth, like these are certain spontaneous, natural, organic forces that know when to grow and know when to compost that, you know, it's like I think about that old, you know, Kenny Rogers song, like the gambler, like no one to hold them, no one to fold them. Like there's this very kind of instinctual um, felt like nature to those signs in terms of their uh, ways of growing and changing. And I think like we're all at a bit of a turning point where we're like, okay, the deal here is change. Like the dear deal here is like, love it and lose it and learn to love it again. And we're all evolving. Can we make like take the shape of that in a way that feels a little bit more easeful? And so the bodysuit is like this image that I have of us, you know, like just sort of like letting ourselves be in the moment that we're in, bringing it really close, kind of go holding you know, closing the gap between ourselves where we might, you know, think about another piece of clothing being like a scratchy fabric or trying to fit into something that doesn't fit or, you know, those kinds of acts. And so I think there's, that's, it's kind of like 
the large current that I'm sensing for 2022 that I started to sense when I was writing and now kind of being in the fuller flower of it. It's like, can we just sort of like, it's almost like modern dance where we just sort of like sense the the moment and then we kind of take the, we make the shape with our body. Okay, now I'm down. Now I'm coming up, you know, and like, just like the little animals we are. So I think there's something, a sweet offering in our animalism for this year, uh, for sure. That's beautiful. Yeah, I think that's a big one. I mean, the the node switching signs is a big one. I think we're still, you know, we're not familiar with this energy, I don't think, yet. It's kind of, again, a work of becoming. But all those themes I completely resonate with. And not just me, but this is coming up in conversations. This is coming up all around me in our environment, really. And it's just this theme of, like, healing. Yes, closing the gap between within ourselves because I think there's a lot of healing that's been done on a collective level since 2020 since you were sitting in your apartment writing (laughs) and now it's just that just sort of solid foundation like what does that look like and I completely agree with you because I was thinking about it very similarly and I kind of was in a bad mood when I was thinking about it and I was like Taurus and Scorpio and I came to the same conclusion as you and I was like that's just mud you know, like, no, (laughs) Um, but there is an opening there. I mean, there's, there's a beautiful opportunity to, to advance on so many levels. Yeah. When you first said the word healing a few moments ago, I thought you said the word peeling and I was imagining like, um, those like Biore, like pore strips and like things, you know, and even a mud bath where you come out and you sort of, you know, your skin is softer. Like it's sort of just letting the exfoliations happen. And again, I don't think we always think about Scorpio energy as easeful, but there's a certain sweetness, even if we look at like the death card in the tarot, like it's just a natural posture, like things fall off, things fall apart. You know, can we let the, you know, the outfit fall to the floor, the thing fall off the tree, you know, whatever it is in a way that, um, that just honors its season, you know, and there's grief there, you know, and potentially there's all sorts of reactivity in the nervous system. Um, but there's also an opportunity to just sort of like follow the natural momentum of that almost. Absolutely. Is there a transit or I guess a cosmic event that you're particularly excited about in 2020 and beyond because this is an energy we're working with for the next 18 months or so yeah um i think i'm uh i'm interested to see what happens with jupiter and aries you know as an aries heavy person i am uh, i'm kind of exhilarated by the notion that in some ways we're returning to the beginning of the zodiac you know we've got the taurus north node happening you know we've got numerologically the lovers card you know we're in a six year two plus zero plus two plus two which is a a mode i think of uh looking at numerology numerology that is uh that we owe to mary greer um, a great tarot teacher um but looking at that lovers card connected to gemini then we've got you know this this shift from jupiter you know going through pisces part of the year but then moving into aries and so we're getting young again in some ways and what i mean by that is we're you know lining up in the first three signs of the zodiac you know aries taurus gemini and so i think i'm quite curious about what that youthfulness might feel like on the other side of all of this experience and all of this intensity. Um, you know, if there is an opportunity there for, uh, I don't want to say like doing things in a mindless way, but just like 
coming forth with things or taking the shape of things in a way that doesn't feel like it has to be layered with 9,000 other kind of interpretations of meaning or weight or anything. The kind of coming to life again, I think, is a big theme this year. And coming to life again, of course, means also dying to certain things and letting certain things slough off our bodies. Um, but I think, yeah, I am, I am particularly curious about Jupiter and Aries, but in the context of all of these energies of sort of these young or these early signs on the zodiacal wheel. That's very interesting. And I'm sort of taking mental notes because I did look at Jupiter, but I think I focused a little bit too much on the Pisces um, aspect of it. And just what that meant in terms of like the work that I do, because I talk about spiritual topics. So it's like, this is really interesting because people are going to be opening up to that more. Um, So I was really excited about that. But there is that boost, like that youthfulness, which I'm also very excited to see how that plays out. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's I think that's a really good place to round up because I want you to tell people how they can connect with you and learn more about what we talked about today some of the topics we covered of course i think everyone should purchase your book you include it if you haven't maybe just keep it on your bookshelf (laughs) (laughs) yeah um i think that the best way to connect with me i'm not a terribly uh vibrant presence on social media i'm like a late stage Gen Xer who hasn't quite um, cracked the code on a sustainable relationship with social media yet. Um, But the best way to connect is through my website. Um, I have a monthly newsletter that you can sign up for there, um, you know, a free monthly newsletter. Also have a a podcast with fellow astrologer Sandy Citron called Star Party that comes out monthly and that really takes the energy of that particular astrological season and looks at a particular emotional theme through the lens of it, and then how to kind of workshop your chart in that way. So for example, we have an episode up now inspired by Aquarius season that's all about working with the unknown in our chart and through the tarot um, with some tips on kind of how to do that and how to unpack that. Um, I am available always uh, for one-on-one work of all kinds. Um, I do, you know, straightforward birth chart readings and tarot readings, and then also work in mystical mentorship with people, um, you know, in all sorts of different customizable iterations who want to study astrology and tarot, who want to incorporate them into any kind of creative practice that they have. Um, And yeah, I have been teaching these uh, these modalities to groups for a long time too. I'm currently in the midst of offering uh, my first ever year-long immersion um, for groups, uh, sort of inspired in part by the cosmic year, looking month to month at the different symbols and archetypes that come forward. And there's going to be, uh, that's already underway, but there's definitely going to be future iterations of that and different um, learning opportunities coming up. So yeah, I'd love to connect with people um, you know, through the website, through signing up on uh, the newsletter. Uh, I am on Instagram, but uh, rather infrequently, but definitely pop in there too and say hello. Amazing. Thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me, John. Thank you for listening today, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to check out the show notes if you wish to explore the themes of today's episode a little further, as well as learn more about my inspiring guest. I'd love to connect with you and hear your thoughts about what you enjoyed on the podcast. Please be so kind as to leave a review, subscribe, and share with anyone you think would benefit from today's episode. Till next time.